You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 495, hooray for the Muppets, the impact of cancel culture and the best debut singles of all time. That's all coming up after Saint-Étienne and Who Do You Think You Are? Old enough to remember the original by Batley Variety Club and Blackpool Tower Ballroomish uh, Candlewick Green in 1974. Mm. This, though, by one of my favourite bands of the last 30 years, number 23 in the UK in the summer of 1993, Saint Etienne. And who do you think you are?
I love that tune. Of all of their tunes, I think I think that might be one of my favorite, or possibly even my favorite. I saw them. They did a Christmas show. Mm. Would have been about three or four years ago um, at the Delaware Pavilion. I went to it. Was great. I think we talked about it at the time. Mm. And um, it, the lovely thing about that was that it was Sarah Cracknell and and Pete and Bob and she uh, Betsy, the backing singer, would come on occasionally. And she and she came on and they did "Who Do You Think You Are" as a sort of a duet. And it was so, it was so nice. It was it was lovely just to see you know sort of old friends singing together. So I'm mm. always a fan of that. I think it's a, I think it's a genuinely brilliant duet. Absolutely, and I think it's the same with me. It's my favourite of theirs as well. Um, hello, thanks for joining us for the latest from the Parish Council. It's episode four hundred and ninety-five. I'm Terence Stackham, and this is where I'm I'm going to adopt the persona of Bruno Brooks or Dave Lee Travis on Radio One in nineteen eighty. Well, we don't have to ask who do you think you are because we know who she is. It's Juliet Harris. Not off, mate. Yeah, hello. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, what an excellent introduction. Yes, hello, everyone. I hope that you're well. It's time to play the music. It's time to light the lights. It's time mm. to meet the Muppets on The Muppet Show tonight because... <laughs> I love the profound way in which you read that out. Almost like a sort of... News at Bro- 10. Kent, Kent Brockman on The Simpsons. In a many way, all of us are asking, when am I going to meet the Muppets tonight? So there's, there's a real profundity about that. Well done. <laughs> All five seasons of The Muppet Show, they've just been made available on Disney+. Plus. Hmm. One of the most difficult challenges in writing comedy, and particularly sketch comedy, is finding the ability to appeal and create interaction with audiences regardless of age. And it's arguable that The Muppet Show succeeded in this to an even greater degree than that other marvel of intergenerational genius, The Simpsons. Hmm. Five seasons of The Muppets, Jules... Talk about sparking joy. Absolutely. To quote Barney from The Simpsons when he intercepts the beer delivery going to Moe's, just hook it to my veins and just give me Muppets 24 hours a day. I absolutely love The Muppets. Like you, I think you're good to, you, it's really good to, to make that comparison with The Simpsons, that it is truly cross-generational. Um, both now available on Disney+, Plus, of course. And uh, the thing that I I love about The Muppets, in the same way as I do love about The Simpsons, and they're, all these shows are brilliant in that they've managed to create this, this this fantastic universe that's populated with characters that you know, even if they are, you know, made of fur or whatever, you know, (laughs) everyone's come across, you know, sort of, well, not in Only Fools and Horses, at least not noticeably, but um, (laughs) you know what I mean? The characters are so well drawn. I love Mm. Kermit's kind of slightly put upon every man. I love, you know, Fozzie's kind of, you know, everyone's got an uncle that is not dissimilar to Fozzie, I think, in terms of these kind of terrible jokes. And of course, Statler and Wolf Waldorf sort of heckling everything. I, I love the Muppets because I think it genuinely sparks joy. Um, and I, 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 I enjoy the, the way in which in recent years on sort of Muppets TV shows and films, they've kind of, they've sort of played with that and made it a bit more kind of real life in that, you know, it's sort of behind the scenes of seeing them try to... Mm run the show and stuff like that and i think that's that's quite interesting i mean i just the 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 muppets version of a muppet christmas carol is just so it is canon now to the point where someone put on twitter over christmas it's so sad that charles dickens never lived to see a muppet christmas carol because so i true. think it's so it's it they they'd really good i mean they they they've done some adaptations of films have worked better than others the treasure island adaptation was fun but it didn't quite work as well in my view but um but the, the, i i just think that they they 
are so great at you know sort of telling universal stories which is why why that their version of the christmas carol works so well i think because it was so well cast you could and, and again it shows how well the characters are drawn and, and as for miss piggy well you know the miss piggy turbot thing is 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 endless i know so many people some of whom are unwittingly miss piggy and some of whom have, have really embraced the concept of being miss piggy really kind of play up to it really this kind of a diva-ish kind of uh kind of sort of impression is great and i and i love i love it when they cross over as well it's quite hard to find now so i'm not i'm not sure i i recommend this with us i think it's on youtube actually i think you can get it on youtube so i recommend this sort of with a caveat but there was a program that was on years ago put it this way we've still got a dodgy vhs that just about works and it is so old that at the end of it a 21 year old woman in a bomber jacket who looks very young does the continuity announcement and that is zoe ball Oh wow. And that's how far we're going back yeah. with this. But we taped it off the TV like all good people did in those days. Obviously piracy is wrong, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. And it's called um a Muppet Family Christmas. And uh, it's basically a mega mix of the whole universe in that uh, they all descend on Fozzie's mum for Christmas um, <laughs> to surprise her. Except it turns out she's booked a surfing holiday elsewhere. So is very upset about the whole thing. Um, and so the Muppets take over the house. And then um, they have carol singers, which is the entire cast of Sesame Street turn up and, uh, and all stay in the house. And then uh, Kermit and his lovely little nephew, Robin, who's wearing a very fetching hooded jacket through out this um they go down into the basement because they discover a fraggle hole and then they go and have a sing song with the cast of fraggle no. rock so if you love that universe i would very much recommend that it's a shame that's not on disney plus actually the campaign starts here to reclaim <laughs> tv special the muppet family christmas but i'd be interesting to see how the guest stars have aged on this actually because there's there, of course the, the, the big thing about the muppet show was that they'd always have a guest as well so i'm looking forward to watching through all of these actually because i've seen i muppets to night was my era actually but um i haven't seen a lot of the older ones so i'm really looking forward just to just to uh yeah put on makeup and enjoying the muppet show tonight or however we are we are um interpreting the theme i always love the band on the muppet show wonderfully mm, yes. wonderfully named dr teeth and the electric mayhem I, um, I, when I've ever I've written quizzes, I didn't do it this year, but I've written quizzes for workplaces in the past where I've gone name of the backing band for each person, and you know you start off with Elvis and you know Elvis Costello, people like that, and it's very rare that people pick up the Electric Mayhem for Doctor T. Particularly like Animal, the the lunatic mm. drummer, who, he had a touch of Keith Moon about it. <laughs> he was but, the star um, of that band. Although I also enjoy, um, I also enjoy Janice, the kind of curiously kind of a sort of asexual um, guitarist who, who's uh, yeah, very the very and Zoot, the saxophone player as well. That is a, that is a great band. One of the most extraordinary talents of Jim Henson and mm. his team, of course, was to somehow, mm. and it was almost a magical gift, was to inhabit each Muppet with such deep personalities, yeah. despite the simplicity of their physical makeup. Mm. Um, and as you mentioned, also uh, amazing, also to look through the episodes and see the incredible list of top stars who are willing to send themselves up and appear with the Muppets. Yes. Elton, Diana Ross, Peter Sellers, Roger Moore, Steve Martin, Vincent Price, Shirley Bassey, and a hundred more. Um, so, yes, most of the 120 episodes over five seasons of The Muppet Show are now available on Disney+. Plus. Mm, yeah, get me to Disney+, Plus, run! Cancel culture, including The Muppets. What can we do about outdated 
cultural depictions. That's next after this excellent track from Claude. What is the excellent six music? I came across this because I um I subscribe to various um record shop uh, emails, and okay. although of course other record shops are available, you know this is you know terms and conditions apply, etc. etc. Um, Resident is a record shop in Brighton, which is fairly local to me. It's local to where I work, and it's it's localish to where I live. And uh, they have now started sending out regular kind of update emails. Mm. Um, and this was recommended as part of their um sort of you know record you might like this week and i listened to it and i really like this i think it is brilliant they used it as a um that's what they did on in so young and snazzy you know i feel like i'm really i'm really rolling back the years on insta stories i know they had it they had a, an advertisement for, on insta stories that there sort of a video of these records are coming and they had some signed ones and what they call dinked editions which has taken me ages to work out that it's just you know they have a special sticker on them or something they're just a bit different but anyway that that song was playing in the background and i thought well, that sounds interesting that clip i might investigate that and this whole record is great really enjoying it and i think this is uh this is a brilliant an artist for whom we use the pronoun they uh, this mm. that was claude and uh, that was from the album super monster and that was cuff your jeans terrific feel to that it's, it's mm. an exciting new prospect yeah claude described as and i love this an american bedroom pop musician bedroom pop 
That's great, great isn't it? I mean, yeah. aren't we all, frankly? Yeah. But that is, it's been a whole year of bedroom pop, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Pajama clad bedroom pop. But yeah. no, that is super. No, that is, that is a superb description. I love that. One of the extraordinary stories accompanying the return of the Muppet Show episodes to television is that although there are 120 episodes, some are not reappearing at all, either due to guests' behaviour on the show or guest stars being convicted of awful crimes in real life. And some sketches in the Muppet episodes have been deleted and the whole show will come with this warning. And I quote, this program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now. Rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together. End of quote. Um, Jules, missing altogether are episodes including uh, Chris Langham for offences committed in Mm. appalling circumstances and one featuring Spike Milligan in which Milligan in his familiar style portrays stereotypes and for reasons unknown undertakes a Nazi salute within the episode. But here's the thing, Jules, yeah, but here's the thing. All this cancel culture and wokeness, what's it all about? You can't even have a laugh anymore, Jules. (laughs) I was going to say, you can't joke about that either, Terence. I'm cancelling you. The podcast will be me from now on, listeners. No, I um, I, I find that... um, so I, I, there was a really interesting piece on this and I've been reading a book recently which kind of feeds into this as well so so I think that that Muppet statement by the way was spot on I think that's exactly how you do it and I think that Talking Pictures the um, the, the, the quite popular channel that shows often sort of slightly old and unloved things from the from the sort of 20s to the 70s, 80s um, a, a real labour of love I think we've talked about this on the podcast Paul mm. that, that whole channel is basically run from by a family from a semi detached house and you can literally ring them up they, they do a wonderful service i think for for elderly people that are perhaps a bit lonely um and they often put a card up at the beginning of things that basically says along those lines this this reflects the attitudes of the times it's interesting what you say that there's still a line within that you know and again a friend of mine that used to work at the bbc would say that you'd have three options whenever you were playing something, which was either to that was had some age and something controversial in it, because that they, they used to work for um before Radio Four Extra became that when it was still BBC Seven. Mm. They worked there and they they did production things and things like that, and they would say that you'd have three options: you'd either just go ahead and play it, or you play it with a clarification or you would not play it at all. So they said they found something once that had a joke about Karen Keating, who, of course, had since passed. Oh, yeah. So that you'd have to think about whether or not you say you, you have a clarification or whether you just go, no, we're just not going to do this. Or if in some circumstances, the fourth option is, can we cut this out? And then can we can we drop, is, is it droppable if it's a sketch show? Can we cut that three minutes out and then we'll just do a, tra- a longer trial at the end or something? So I think there is, I think it is good that there, that there are things that you can contextualise and things that you think, well, perhaps we don't need to see Spike Milligan doing a Nazi salute. I do agree with that. There's an interesting piece here. Um, it's on a website which I was previously unfamiliar, which is called Palatinate uk. who's written by a chap called George Sims. He says, Kant's culture and comedy is no laughing matter. And that the, the point that he's making, and I think if, I like Jory, you can't say anything nowadays, mm. is that is that if you actually have a look at what is happening, he said that he struggled to find people who were actually being cancelled for their humour. He couldn't mm. find it. And he makes the point... Um, 
that um and it's worth reading these i think it's worth reading these two paragraphs out um it makes reference to Rowan Atkinson's comments saying, oh, you can't say anything now because you'd be cancelled. Yeah, so can you not go and play with your 50 cards instead? But anyway, Mr Bean's fears have been echoed by many key players across the world of comedy, with John Cleese, Ricky Gervais and David Chappelle all very outspoken on this issue. Cleese and Gervais in particular have felt victimised for the rather unsympathetic response they've had to their wholly unsympathetic view of the transgender community. Having worked my way through a British all-boys school, I'm acutely aware of how funny many people still find homophobia, misogyny, sexism and racism. As James Acaster pointed out in his recent show, most people are still more comfortable than happy to, sorry, most people are still more than happy to laugh at transgender people, not as comfortable laughing at Ricky Gervais. And they said this really gets to the heart of the issue around council culture and comedy. For the first time, widespread discrimination is being understood and accepted for the scourge that it is. And more and more people are tired of lazy stereotypes and offensive tropes by comedians who either can't be bothered to or aren't capable of writing genuinely clever comedy. Ricky Gervais is a massive advocate of natural selection until it applies to his comedy sets and income this mm. that's what this is natural selection of the comedy world as more people have learned to empathize with and understand the plight of minority groups fewer people have been laughing at them and i think this is really he's, he's struggling to find a concrete example of a of a uh, uh, you know of of, of of someone being cancelled he makes the um you know he, he he talks about you know people talk about oh you know this this cancel culture there, there were always people in life who prefer the good old days there are people that don't want to move on and actually crucially i think in some cases don't want to grow i think i think that's it this is what this is about and actually i i it's good that we're talking about this because this week i I've, I've been elsewhere and so doing that thing where you're staying with someone else at my support bubble for any you know legal narcs listening um and you pick a book off the shelf that is there and you think oh i'll just read this whilst i'm here and i was reading the um the latest Ben Elton book, his right. latest novel. And I find his novels, he, he tries to make a point, but often it's done in a very crazy way. And he, he tries to look at all sides of the argument and it ends up quite confused. But anyway, his most recent book published last year, uh, or 2019 rather, was called Identity Crisis. And it's based around the idea of cancel culture and also heavily based on the referendum and the, 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 the dialogue that we've been having over here. And this is relevant, I think, in the... He in the book, the Brexit referendum has already happened, but there is now a new referendum about whether or not England is leaving the union rather than Scotland. Mm. And, part, and without spoiling the, the plot for anyone, but a key, or the ending, a key part of the plot is that there is a sort of a think tank. I mean, there are thinly veiled caricatures of people involved in the referendum, but there is a think tank that are involved in, in sort of algorithms of, say, so, there's an example of a character like a, a character involved likes a meme on a friend's Facebook page um, that, that complains about there being too many foreign players in the Premier League. As a result of which, they then get um, England. The campaign is called England Out, and they keep getting pushed um, posts by England Out and promoted onto their smartphone. And part of what this think tank does, and although this is fiction, this this has a ring of truth to me. Um, they jump on 
any kind of hashtag campaign every chapter ends in a hashtag um, it's a clever book actually and and they jump on these hashtag campaigns so one minute they're jumping on these kind of almost far right kind of campaigns the next they're jumping on the idea that the murder of a black girl has not been publicized as much as the murder of a, of a, of a white girl so so what they're doing is is that they they find that basically they're blowing up small issues to become a much bigger issue than perhaps in reality they really are because what they're driving at is that they are targeting people's sense that they are losing their country that it is not like how it was in the olden days it's not like how they want it to be and so what they're doing is that they're, they're using that sentiment as a driver for their own ends and I do worry actually I think although this is a fictional book it has a real ring of truth to me and I do think that you know, yes, it is possible to to bring to bring political correctness too far. I'm not saying it isn't, but I think that that piece was a good piece, and it made me think of the book in that. To what extent is this genuine impingement, and to what extent is this increasingly old and irrelevant uh, comedians complaining because they haven't done anything to to change their act, to move with the changing times, or to stay relevant? Really. So, so I guess this is a little bit like whatever the, the Ross Bash test, in that I guess you see in this what you want to, I suppose. But, but it feels to me like cancel culture is is the, the phrase is simplifying a, a not particularly simple issue and it's it's bl it's blowing it up into something that i feel could be used for more maligner purposes yeah i'm i'm genuinely fascinated by what you and the listeners think about cancelling and deleting mm -hmm. from the arts because uh, because uh depictions well, are is it actually happening is my first question well, is it actually happening well i say this because that people are I saying think, yeah. is I, I say this because I just don't know which way to turn in it. I, I have an absolute almost built-in dislike of censorship because mm. there is something worry, worryingly uh, totalitarian about it, a bit Kim Jong-un. But on the other hand, mm. I don't want to see or hear comedy that upsets or denigrates people. And Absolutely, I'm not, yeah. I'm not alone in feeling confused. In, in the last year, Agree, you know, you yeah. say, is it happening? In the last year, UK TV ran the Germans episode of Faulty Towers, took it down took aspects of it out, put it back up again, took it down and put it back up in full again. So, mm. <laughs> you know, there is confusion. Do, yeah, of course there is. Yeah, on but, the but... aspect of do we let everything go and air it all, as you mentioned, or perhaps then or with a Muppet Show style caveat yes. or a warning, or do we cancel way, some shows or part of shows altogether? And if we do now, this is the, this is the question that I cannot resolve and i this mm. is a genuine question who is it that decides is it one person is it a committee mm. because i don't want a jeremy corbyn faction deciding what i can watch any more than i want a farage or a katie hopkins type figure yeah, making true, those decisions I, I don't have an answer to that question who decides no and i and i guess ultimately these are commissioner type decisions aren't they and so so yes there is something unsatisfactory mm. about this being sort of a, a one-person decision but equally you know to some extent you, you're all you're, you're never going to be able to this goes back to a di direct democracy argument you're never going to be able to get everybody to decide everything so no i agree with you that aspect of it is is difficult but to some extent there are you know we, i guess we just have to accept that there are always going to be people that are employed as decision makers in all walks of life not just in this in you know politics that sort of thing although i know 
with some politicians we have a we, we you know we, we are able to elect them but that's why it's so frustrating when uh, with david frost and unfortunately not the much loved broadcaster david frost but this this chap this this mm. man you know this, this tory EU chap that's now in so. yeah that's now in the cabinet even though with a cabinet role even though he's never been elected by anyone to anything so so yes i i you know it, that is a tricky one i agree but i do i do worry the people that are sort of shouting about council culture I I worry about whether there's a wider overarching purpose to this and where this sentiment is going, really. Possibly, yeah. There, there could be a sort of hidden agenda from some yes, people. But it, I, think it, so. I think it's just one of those questions that you have to leave hanging. I'd be very interested to hear anybody's view on that. And if anyone wants to cancel me, do, do get in touch. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Coming right up, what are the best debut singles of all time? Don't worry, we have the answers. For <laughs> yeah, we can that. we can tell you <laughs> what the answer is. And no, you can't write in, etc. No. Yeah. <laughs> and that's right after Ricky Lee Jones. Most is your go is back where you used to know. If grown-ups could laugh this slow, whereas you watch the one of the most beautiful songs ever written uh, two minutes and 32 seconds of heaven mm. from her grammy award-winning first album featuring randy newman michael mcdonald dr john jeff Picaro, oh, tom yeah. scott amongst many others 1979 ricky lee jones and on saturday afternoons in 1963 I mean, she's just the best, isn't she, really? One of those artists that I've only discovered fairly recently, but she she's just grand. And all those people on her record, uh, all those people can't be wrong. Exactly, yes. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a terrific album. That particular track um, was performed completely live at Burbank Studios. Mm. Um, 
with no added uh, bits and pieces. So absolutely terrific. Mm. Uh, here's the thing. You've been writing mm. songs. You've got a batch of them. You're, you, you've either got a record contract or these days, maybe you're going to release them yourself. Mm hmm. Which song do you choose as the single? The first mm. song the public will hear. Maybe the one that gets you on the radio or on an Apple or Spotify playlist. The song that the press or the TV might pick up on. What's the formula? And it's a crucial decision because you could be the Beatles on a ladder of success mm. or you could be Derek Plate and the dishwashers back to the open mic slot <laughs> at your local pub. Um, well, we can tell you the best singles of all time to act as your guide. Indeed, we've picked three each. What's, num what's number three on your of your greatest debut singles of all time? Well, I think I'd pick this just, just because I think it's... Well, I, well, let's go with this first, simply because I think it, it kind of feeds into, would this be cancelled now for appropriating another culture? I don't know. But anyway, I'd, I'd pick this partly because I love the song and also because it reminds me of a much-loved English teacher that used to used to teach me at school, who still very much, even in the 90s, loved Susie's, Susie and the Banshees and used to go on about them all the time. And so, so and I remember finding this single. I'd never heard Susie and the Banshees but I found this in a junk shop it probably would have been in the late 90s and bought it purely because this teacher had always gone on about this band and I thought oh I should listen to them then and it was Hong Kong Garden by Susie mm. and the Banshees and it's just such a rollicking tune whether or not it is it is uh, that that lovely intro with the ding 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 mm. ding 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 and instantly it caught my eye I thought well I like this and I think it is it just clatters along it's named after the Hong Kong Garden Chinese takeaway in Chislehurst High Street for those of you that wanted to know and she said it was explaining the lyrics with reference um, to the racist activities of skinheads visiting the takeaway. So perhaps not quite a cultural appropriation. Perhaps it's more more commented, um, you know, sort of more nuanced in its comment. But I, I, I love this tune. I think it is so it's it it showcases Susie's kind of vocals and 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 from from front womaning really well and i i just think it's such a such a powerful tune and like you say such a great calling card as an opening single it's it's so perfect and the way that the gong finishes it i think it's genuinely a perfect record amazing guitar sound on hong kong gardens yes. or by john mckay lyrics not terribly woke though if one does look through them despite the uh, skinhead aspect but yeah no, okay um i saw <laughs> i saw uh, susie and the banshees in 1978 at kingston swimming pool mm, and what they did all Kingston for swimming pool what they used to do they put used to put boards over the pool for gigs oh, wow. imagine that imagine <laughs> that today you know the, the danger that you were putting so imagine you were standing at the deep end and they gave way but uh Yes, mm. Susie, Susie and the Banshees uh, at the swimming pool. Uh, mine, mine are in chronological order, uh, mm. starting with the earliest. The, the summer of 1965 in the UK, radio was just awful. There was hardly any mm. pop music on the radio at all. But then, out on the North Sea, the arrival of the pirate radio stations, uh, mainly Radio Caroline and Radio London, and on a tiny transistor radio in the garden as a very little boy, I heard the debut single from The Small Faces. Mm. It was raucous. It was loud. And um, 
Steve Marriott was 18 and he sounded like a really confident wow. veteran. It, 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 this single, it reached number 14, set them on their way to 14 top uh, 40 singles. What you going to do about it, Jules? Oh, such a, such a great tune. I agree with you. And it's got a real swagger about it, hasn't it? It's hard to believe that Steve Marriott was 18, 18. when that came out. It's uh, it is There's something that's, that's it doesn't go over the top, yet the, the riff is so insistent that it's it builds, doesn't it? I, I, that's a great choice. I love that tune. What have you got next? Well, so so we'll go back in time. Wibble wobble, wibble wobble for mine. Um, so this this second one, a tune that starts deceptively quietly and then literally bursts into life. Um, I think this has got such style and such poise, um, and it very much uh, liked for the fact that um, that the the guitar solo on this by uh, Phil Manzanera um, oh. is is the first thing that came into his head apparently uh right. which you think i couldn't quite believe it. it it sounds like a a stylish record that's still quite spontaneous so that's a good thing i'm a very big fan of virginia plain by roxy music i i remember what cemented um roxy music so quickly was their first appearance mm. on top of the pops which was another of those kind of wow what moments. doing that i see you're doing virginia plain yeah, yeah. it's the first time many people had seen or heard them and it was just you know whoa it was like when david bowie um you know first appeared to doing uh to doing ziggy on 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 top of the pops um also maybe their appearance on top of the pops i was thinking about this maybe a bit of an early disadvantage for them as well because they because of the way they look at eno with his all his eye shadow and everything mm. it they were kind of bracketed into being glam rock for a while with like yes they sweet were weren't they yes like that. yeah but uh what they had a lot more depth to them than that oh, though i think word, not, that yeah. I, not that i don't love some of those glam rock bands but they were a bit mm. less disposable i think absolutely well, just as I said earlier that radio was almost devoid of pop music, as we moved into the 70s, mm. television was even worse in the UK. One mm. show we did get was the rather grey and safe and sort of um, pullovery um, Andy Williams show. But mm. we all watched it just in case. Occasionally they pandered yes. to the youth and you'd get Credence Clearwater Revival or Blood, Sweat and Tears. Even Aretha once was mm. on the aperture. Um I remember there was there was this one edition where everybody at school the next day was saying, you know, oh, did you see that group on Andy Williams last night? And even one of the young teachers who wanted to be seen as cool mentioned it in class. And it was mm. um, 11 year old um, Michael Jackson. It was the Jackson five mm. and, and the segment just burst out of the screen it's on youtube actually this appearance oh, is and i it? urge everyone to watch it mm. yeah 11 yeah, year old michael um soulfully belting out i want you back wow which was their yes. single, and that they just had it all on, on this appearance amazingly colorful clothes great moves and michael's voice it, it, it made number two in the uk number one on billboard um jackson five i want you back that is just phenomenal, isn't it? I mean, I might have picked that for myself had you not picked it for mm. yours. It is such a such a wonderful tune. It really is just um it still sparks joy. Talking about sparking oh, joy. Yeah. In the olden days and I was able to play records for people in public, um, whenever I would play that, rooms would always erupt with joy. Oh, it's I can it's, it's yeah, it's it's something that everybody loves to hear. It's it's just a, it's a, just one of the most cheering melodies, I think, ever. And, of course, one of the great all-time bass lines as well to back oh, it up. Oh, yes, absolutely. What's your third choice, Jules? 
Well, I thought, I thought I thought I'd go with this just simply because I mean there were lots of records that I could have picked. I was tempted to pick Dress by PJ Harvey, but I, because I am so so PJ Harvey woman on this, I thought I'd, I thought I'd give everyone a break from that very briefly. <laughs> but um, but I picked this because it's a record I've been listening to a lot recently, and it just it's so atmospheric and it sounds. I don't think there's ever truly been a record that before or after that has sounded like this i mean there have been you know to some extent imitators but i think this really does plow its own furrow um the single version is obviously shorter the full version all nine minutes of it i was tempted to pick it at the end of the podcast but i thought that was probably pushing (laughs) even your goodwill but um but i um, i I absolutely i just think this is it's a shame because like you say with the roxy music then this song rather pigeonholed them into being uh, into being a sort of goth kind of um when a goth sort of kings and there was a lot more to them than that and actually a friend of mine martin and i've had conversations recently about how much there is to bauhaus when you really dig into them but i i do think that uh that bella lugos is dead by bauhaus um i can't imagine what it must have been like to have heard that at the time the way that it kind of creaks into life the fact that if you listen to the full version there is no vocal until about four and a half minutes mm. in it's such an atmospheric record and i really do think that it stands Stands of not alone than above everything else of that genre, I think. So, so I have picked as my as as the third of my greatest singles of all time. I've picked greatest debut singles of all time. I've picked Bauhaus and uh, Bella Lugosi's Dead. It's, it's absolutely uh, amazing. It was they again. You know, we talked about um, Roxy being um, pigeonholed into mm. glam rock. I think in a way this pigeonholed them into sort of being seen as pioneers of goth yeah and yeah, goth, they absolutely. probably didn't really want to have that uh, might not have done them any favors i don't but think it was but, hugely um, but influential it's 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 just it's such a the atmosphere of it and the way that it builds that you don't actually get the, the everyone remembers the undead 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 bit yes. but that doesn't come in until about you know sort of two-thirds of the way through the song it's it's very sparing it's very in fact if anything you'd say oh there's much to post-punk as it did to goth and that it is so sparing in its instrumentation it's it's so sort of stripped back i think it's it's a grand record there is no they don't go over the top with kind of hammer horror type stuff i think the basis of the tune is very much that the excellent drumming and the kind of the sort of spindly guitars that gradually kind of worm their way in i think it's a, it's a superb achievement i couldn't help myself i did mm. uh, i've done a top 10 uh, countdown of the, uh, the oh what i didn't know this for goodness sake no, no, I just did it change the, the change the change the change I, I did post. it just before we started i've scribbled them down honestly and it, <laughs> countdown and top 10 debut singles of all time cosby stills and nash marrakesh express yes good choice alabama shakes hold on oh brilliant choice yeah absolutely Beatles loved me do, but that's a sort of caveat to that. See, because it wasn't their greatest work, and it, no, I, I considered that if it had been she loved you, I would bit. have absolutely yeah, held that on. But yeah, it's a little bit, um, and I never got over the George Martin description of it, where he always felt that the harmonica was too loud, and yeah. as he said he's singing "Love Me War," and I've never, <laughs> I've never quite been able to get that out of my mind when listening to it. Very true. Monkeys, last train to Clarksville. Ooh, yeah, good choice. Elisa Keys falling. Yes, I that that, that is a, I that was on a list that I looked at and I did that I did, it did pique my interest briefly. It is a, a superb performance. Missy Elliott, the rain. You see, you're, you're talking my language, Terence. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying this. Box tops, the letter. 
And then in the top three positions, we had Small Faces, what you're going to do about it. Jackson 5, I want you back. My number one, um, by 1978, we'd had deregulation of radio in the UK. And mm. there were much more options to hear new music. And again, yeah. it was through the radio that I first heard this entirely new sound with this strange, enchanting, uh, gothic sound like but no, nothing I'd heard before. And it was Kate Bush and Wuthering mm. Heights. And it was on Capital Radio in London that played it incessantly. And it was just breathtaking and magic hearing that for the first time. And, of course, it launched her career. Mm. And I think just going back to our more general point about how you select uh, your debut single, EMI actually wanted to release James and the Cold Gun as the first single. But Kate mm. insisted it be Wuthering Heights, which, again, mm. highlights just how vital that choice of first single yes, can be. absolutely. No, I, so compl- I completely there, agree. Uh, she knew, didn't she? She she knew what. Oh yeah, uh, she knew. Yeah. And 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 again, that's another cheat. Although again, perhaps it pigeonholed her into a bit of a sort of a wacky type um wacky woman type yes, thing when perhaps other did. records wouldn't have done. So perhaps a lesson from all of this is mm. that you run a risk when you pick your debut single that by there's a there's a line to be drawn between making an instant impact yet unfairly establishing yourself as being one particular thing that's a risk if you start with a strong identity people might assume that that is your only identity I think it's a really good point and I think that is proven by so many of these mm. and we've even picked up and said you know how they they became bracketed or pigeonholed into certain ways whereas oddly uh the Beatles with you know as we say not mm. their greatest work it was notable and it was great and you thought this is different but it didn't sort of make you think oh that, that's what they're going to be forever yeah, absolutely so and, what, and, and what Absolutely. I, I completely agree. I think that's a really good point. And, and the other thing as well that I think um, it, 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 it feeds into that is that there are some bands that have had longevity who I wanted to pick their singles, but they weren't debut singles. They'd have one or two beforehand. So if 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 there hadn't been existing non-hits beforehand, <clears throat> I probably would have picked This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us by Sparks oh, yes. and um, I Don't Like Mondays by the Boomtown Rats. And you okay. might argue that because they'd had two or three songs that didn't really get anywhere because they've been a bit established before that perhaps they didn't get so pigeonholed for yeah, that song i don't yeah, know yeah, yeah it's, 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 a, it's an interesting aspect of all this well thanks very much for listening this week really good to have you there i i, I echo the sentiments of my non-cancelled colleague very much <laughs> will you be able to uh, stop watching the muppet show long enough to present <laughs> your radio show George? i mean that is a big question and i can't guarantee the answer mm. to that although this is the point where i promote my radio show so perhaps i'll say yes yes, yes i will Terence, or at least i'll put it on mute during the show how about that i think that's a, that's a fair compromise um i'm doing my smooth sailing show um on sunday evenings as I often do 7 till 9 p.m um mixer.com so mixlr.com forward slash juliet hyphen harris or just Search my name on there to find the channel. And it's Yacht Rock, easy listening, classic pop, just sort of nice, enjoyable tunes for a Sunday evening. And the song to play us out, the reggae vibe continues with an absolutely delicious cover of 1980s Big Hair Rock. <laughs> absolutely. It's an unexpected um, unexpected pairing, this, but I just couldn't resist this because I just thought it was so fun and such a good reimagining mm-hmm. of a song. It just goes to show that good songwriting is to some extent bomb-proof and that you can do it in whatever style you want. But if the if the, the basics of the melody and the, and the tune are good, then you can... You can, yeah, you can you can, you can do whatever you like to it. And this is a thing a thing here. I, I'm looking forward to being able to listen to this in a pub garden somewhere or, mm. or you know, just uh, just to be able to enjoy.
enjoy this in a place that isn't my house. But um, <laughs> I, I very much like this. This is great. This is, um, like you say, big hair, you know, uh, the big hair from the... The hair doesn't get much bigger than this, does it, from the 80s? Uh, this is um, Groove de Prior doing their version of Europe's The Final Countdown.
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. What do you suppose they call that? A novelty act? I don't know, but it wasn't too bad. Well, that's a novelty. Oh!